Surrender from the viewpoint of a slave, and this morning we're going to be talking about enslaved by sin. Uh, last week we were reminded of two very important truths found in God's Word. And first we were reminded that God is the head of the church. And obviously as the church of God is formed, it consists of born-again believers who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The church are the called-out ones, the believers within it. It's not the building, it's not the facility. It is the body of believers within the facility who have given their faith and trust to Jesus Christ. But uh, He is the head. He is supreme over all. And secondly, we were reminded last week that Jesus is the master of every believer. So not only as a, collectively as a body of believers, but every individual believer uh, is to be submissive to the will of His Master. Uh, obviously, Jesus Christ purchased us with His own blood. And Matthew 6 reminds us that we cannot serve two masters. He says you're either going to hold the one and despise the other and so forth. So we cannot be allegiant to too many masters, can we? And so as God's children, we need to be submissive, obedient to Him, uh, allowing Him to be the supreme ruler of our lives. He owns us. He's purchased us. We are His property, and we're to be submissive to Him. Well, as such, Jesus asks a pointed question in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? It's a very important question I think every one of us needs to answer in our lives. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior then I think that's a question that merits an answer. If we are going to claim the name of Christ in our day-to-day living, then maybe we ought to put ourselves as the recipients of those words, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? I wonder sometimes if we don't just become kind of status quo or kind of commonplace in our walk with the Lord, and we kind of, we wouldn't say it this way, and we don't want to make it come across this way, but we kind of kind of pick and choose the things that we want to be committed to. We kind of pick and choose the areas of our service. We want to kind of pick and choose the, the things that we think we might be able to accomplish for the Lord. Rather than saying, God, you have all of me. And I'll do everything I can to follow you completely. And I think it merits an answer in our minds. And we say, well, God knows my heart and he knows that I am following. Wonderful. Praise God for obedience. But I think far too often for the body of Christ, it's, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? So we need to make sure that we're walking with God and completely obeying Him. And Romans chapter 6, verse 4 reminds us that we are to walk in a new way of life. Remember, as we give our life to Christ, as we submit to Him as our Savior, but not only our Savior, as our Lord, it says just as we were buried with Him in baptism, we are raised in likeness of His resurrection. And it says the old man is crucified, there's a new man that is being born, so we are to walk in a new way of living. We've talked about that, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But the idea, as we know it, is that the life that we had before Christ should not be the life that we have after Christ comes into our life. There ought to be a marked change, a marked difference. Uh, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 challenges us to walk worthy of the Lord. To walk worthy of the Lord. And then the rest of the phrase in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 is to be fully pleasing to Him. Fully pleasing to Him. And that's an awesome phrase to think about. Is my life fully pleasing to Him? Am I walking in such a way in my life as a believer that my life is fully pleasing to God? And uh, we are reminded again um, in Revelation chapter 4, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. Why? Because He's created all things. And for His pleasure... 
they are and were created. I wonder if us as part of His creation uh, are walking in a way that would bring pleasure and uh, a pleasure to Him in every aspect of our life. Um, we need to constantly be reminded of that. And then, as such, it should be our desire to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. In fact, take your Bibles this morning, just for a moment. And uh, as I say often, we will be jumping around a little bit this morning. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I know. I hear some laughing. I do that from time to time. We are going to be jumping around just a little bit this morning. I want us to give the idea, so many of us, uh, we, we don't give it a lot of thought of how sin enslaves us. And God's Word makes it very clear that when we give our life to Christ, that old life is to be crucified. And so the sin that, in, that ensnares us, the sin that captivates us, the sin that distracts us in our daily, everyday walk, it ought to be part of the past life. So I want us to be reminded of Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 8 through 10. It says this, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, So it says here, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. So as a result of Jesus Christ coming into our lives, we ought to have a new endeavor in life. And part of that endeavor in in, in walking with God is to discern what is pleasing to Him. Um, it's not just a matter of just, well, I'm up this morning, I'm going to get dressed and go about my day. No, there ought to be to a point in our lives where we are in God's Word, we're in fellowship with God, we're talking to Him, He's talking to us, and we are trying to discern what is pleasing to God. So that every action that we make, every conversation that we have, everything that we're a part of, everything that captivates our lives, it ought to be, God, what is your will in this? God, what does your word say concerning this? What is it that your, by principle or by scripture is best for this situation? And we're seeking to discern what is the will of God in our lives. But we know this, as sin enslaves us so that we stray from obeying God completely. Sin keeps us from walking in that new way that God's Word has challenged us to walk in. Sin distracts us in such a way that we may lose our desire to please God while selfishly seeking to please ourselves. So what then will keep us from becoming enslaved to sin? Well, there are two, two or three passages of Scripture I want us to highlight this morning. The first one is found in John chapter 14. So if you would turn to John chapter 14... A familiar verse, you've heard it before, John chapter 14 and verse 15 says this, If you love me, you will keep my commands. In other words, he says this, the motivation behind your obedience, the motivation behind not living a life that is pleasing to you, A motivation behind not being distracted by the sins of this world and not being ensnared by the things of this world. The motivation for obedience is what? Our love for God. It ought to be the very thing that keeps us motivated every day to say, God, I want to put you first because I love you. I care for you. I want to do what's right. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, another very familiar passage that talks about the very same thing, says, for this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. And he says, now His commands are not a burden. In other words, God's Word reminds us it should not be a burden to do His commands. 
It should not be a work for us to simply say, I want to obey you, God. He says they're not a burden. And if we look at it as a burden, then we're not going to submit to it. If that, if that task is too big for us in our own minds, we're not going to do it. So we have to have the mindset that obeying God and doing His commands is not a burden. It's what we ought to be doing. And in 2 John chapter uh, verse 6 says, If we love God, we will keep His commands as well. We're to walk in them. So let's illustrate this just for a moment this morning. What motivates me to keep or make my marriage strong? I mean, there's, as we said, no maybe perfect marriages, and we're working at it, and we've had celebrated 20 years this summer, and and um, probably only the second time in 20 years I wasn't speaking at a camp somewhere. So uh, we really didn't do anything a whole lot. She was in Texas, and I just surprised her, you know, with our drive down there. Um, but, you know, what what motivates us to keep our marriage strong? What What motivates me to make it stronger every year? My love. If I didn't love her, I wouldn't care about it. If I didn't love her, I wouldn't work at doing the things that I need to do. And I do fail, and I do struggle, because I'm selfish like many of you. But if there was no love... I wouldn't have any motivation to do it. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. What motivates me to serve Him? What motivates me to to put Him first? What motivates me to obey Him completely, not just partially? What motivates me to to go all in? My love for Him. And I think we can say the flip side of that is also true. If you don't love God, you will not obey Him. If you don't love God completely, you will not obey Him completely. See, He has to be the center. And what motivates us is our love for Him. Oftentimes, what we love enslaves us. We saw that in the Romans last week. Um, John chapter 8, just a couple pages back there, a couple chapters back. John chapter 8, verse 34 says this. Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. The bottom line is, you are a slave to sin if you don't know Christ. He says, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to it. But he doesn't remain in the house forever, he says. It goes on verse 40, um, verse 38. I speak what I have seen in the presence of my Father, therefore you do what you have heard from your Father. When our Father is Satan, the devil, then we're going to live for the things of the world and be enslaved into that. When our Father is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who gave his blood, covered his sin for it, then we'll be a slave to him. But you can't be both. If we're going to be a slave to Christ, then we need to be fully committed in obeying him. If you're a slave to our Father of the devil, the world, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, well then that's understandable. But the bottom line is there ought to be a distinction between us. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 19, says, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? People are slaves to whatever defeats them. Hmm. When are we weak? When are we most vulnerable? When is it that we give in to the distractions of this world? When is it that we are disobedient before God? When is it that we are defeated? When we're not walking closely with God. 
when our eyes and focus are not on Him. I think we see that exemplified over and over in Scripture. Take, for example, Peter. Lord, if it's You, let me walk on the water. Well, come. And he starts to walk out on the water. And when is it that he began to sink? When he took his eyes off Jesus. When we begin to live our life like Peter was there for the moment, with our eyes everywhere else, that's when we're going to give in to sin. That's when we're going to begin to sink spiritually. We have to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 6, verse 17, once again reminds us that the life that we had in the past should not be the life that we live now. So, the question is, comes up then, how can I overcome sin? We've been talking about being a slave of Jesus Christ, but oftentimes we're enslaved to sin more than we are as a doulos, more than we are as a slave to Jesus Christ. So how can I overcome sin? Uh, this is where I said we're going to jump around a little bit, and I think there needs to be several things that we understand, uh, at least six things that we need to understand. Number one, uh, I want to jump around just a little bit. And it's not fair, Luke, because you can put it on the, or Ben, you can stick it on the screen faster than I can get there, so quit cheating. No. Uh, Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 5. If you would turn there just for a moment. Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, If someone incurs guilt in one of these cases, he is to confess he has committed that sin. And he must bring his restitution for the sin he has committed to the Lord. And so forth. Can I just simply say this? If we're going to have any victory over sin, you have to confess it. So often we have the idea in our back of our minds that, well, God's a gracious God and He's going to forgive me every time. And yes, you're right. But Romans also reminds us, should I continue in sin that His grace may abound? Three times in the passage he says what? Never. God forbid. Not a chance should you continue in sin just because His grace is sufficient. We're not to abuse the grace that God gives us through forgiveness. But what we ought to do is when we recognize that there is sin in our lives, the first way to overcome it is to admit that it's there. So often we have such pride and arrogance and selfishness in our lives that we don't want to admit that we have sin in our lives. We kind of look at it in terms of, well, I'm, I'm a little bit better than that person, or I'm not involved in the sin that that person's involved in, and I'm not involved in that over there. Certainly, I don't have, I, I'm a pretty good person. But if you're going to overcome sin and live a life of holiness, you ought to come to the place where you can confess it as sin and move on from it. Because until you confess it, you'll not have victory over it. In fact, Psalm chapter 32 and verse 5 says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. You see, I think a lot of times there is guilt when you have unconfessed sin. But when God forgives it, He wipes the slate clean. But here's the deal. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't confess it, it's not forgiven. There is a process here. And he says, I will very clearly in Psalm 32, I will not conceal this. Well, here's good news for us. You can't hide it anyway. I mean, it's a wonderful thing for him to say, I won't conceal it. You can't hide it. Hebrews makes it very clear that all things are naked and open before God with whom we have to do. And Proverbs over and over reminds us that if we try to hide our sin, God will not bless us. 
The first way to overcome sin is to confess it and to acknowledge it, that it's there and say, God, forgive me. I confess it. And God's Word says He'll bring confession or He'll bring repentance in our lives as we're willing to submit to Him. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But not only that, we see a second principle in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says this, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that awesome? You have the ability to walk a life uh, that is pleasing to God. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the ability. And Romans chapter 8, verse 37 reminds us, Yea, in all these things you are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So number one, we need to understand that we have to confess our sin if we're going to overcome it. Number two, you need to understand that you have the ability to overcome it because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You are more than conquerors. And then number three, there's something else we need to understand. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 13. It's a familiar verse. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Over and over, God's Word makes it clear that we have, because Jesus Christ is in us, we have the power to overcome. And he says, with that temptation, there will be a way of escape. And I found in my own life, the way of escape is simply saying, no. We ought to come to the place in our lives that is more important for us to please God than it is to please anyone else, including ourselves. We ought to be able to come to the place where we say, God, I put you first. And because I put you first, I'm not going to give in. If we would just begin to think about the consequences of our actions and reactions before we do them, oh, how it would save some heartache. How it would save some consequences that could, could have been avoided. If we would just said, God's Word says there a way, there's a way of escape. And it's saying no. So often we give in to it because it's so easy to give in. You say, well, one more time, I'll confess my sin later. No. It breaks fellowship with God and hinders His blessing from being in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verses 14 and 15, he says, For Christ's love compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all are dead. And He died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for, what's the word? themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised we need to understand that there is a way of escape when it comes to sin when we are tempted to do what's wrong there is a way of escape and we can say according to james that no one who is tempted is tempted of god for god does not tempt any man but every man is tempted tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed it all comes down to our focus. It all comes to what we're, it comes down back to what we allow to distract us in our walk and our daily living for God. Are we going to choose to disregard the sin and the temptation and choose to put Christ first? So first of all, understand that if we're going to have victory over sin, you need to confess it. You need to acknowledge it. Number two, you need to understand 
that you have the ability because of Jesus Christ living within you and that you are more than conquerors. And number three, you need to understand from 1 Corinthians 10.13 and following that there is a way of escape when you are tempted. And number four, what's the process? We see this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. says, you know that when you were pagans... I'm in 1 Corinthians. That doesn't work. Well, it will, just not for this message. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Our minds need to be renewed. Our minds need to be renewed daily. Um... I appreciate Mike Cosgrove on occasion. Uh, we'll be having a conversation, and he always comes back to this verse. The fifth thing. Philippians chapter 4. Over and over, he reminds me of this verse. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. See, victories are won and lost in the mind. How we think, how we choose to respond to the circumstances of life. See, every day there's things that happen in our lives that we wouldn't choose. Did you agree? Every day we have expectations that this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, but then all of a sudden somebody throws this in. We didn't plan for that. And every day, because there are unexpected circumstances that take place, every day we're fronted with opportunities to respond right or wrong. And every day we're confronted with the opportunity, am I going to act or react? Battles are won and lost in the mind. And are our mind going to be set on the things of God or the things of the flesh, things of the world? So he says, if we're going to win in the mind, our minds have to be dwelling on the right things. In fact, I think they're up on the screen, right? Let, let, let's, let's quote this verse together. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, let's all together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just... Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. What is your mind dwelling on? What is it that occupies your mind? What is it that, that you think about day in and day out? And it has to start in, early in the day. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4 says, Commune with God upon your bed. Think, on, think about those things. Just daily, just starting out the day. I remember years ago, I uh, got this email, and it was a, it was a picture of a, of a man sitting on the edge of his bed, and he was praying, starting his day out in prayer. And it went something like this. Lord, so far today I haven't yelled at anybody. I haven't lost my mind on any circumstances. I haven't yelled at my kids. I haven't fought with my wife. I haven't got mad at any co-workers, but in a few moments I'm going to leave this bed. <laughs> yeah, reality's going to strike, isn't it? 
Every day we have to deal with reality. And the reality is that we are sin-filled, fleshly people. At least I know I am. That's why he says all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. And our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have a pretty high opinion of ourselves most of the time. And if that's what permeates our life, pleasing self more than pleasing God, you'll not have victory over sin in your life. But I'm telling you from God's Word, on the authority of God's Word, we can have victory. We don't have to be enslaved to sin. And then I think the greatest key to all of this, and the final thought comes from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 11. Probably very familiar to all of us. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. When we get to the place that we can honestly treasure God's word more, and we know that God's Word is filled with commands and precepts and principles and, and, and commands and all these kinds of things in our life. He's placed them there so that we can learn from them, so that we can apply them, so that we can live a life that would be pleasing to Him. First Peter 1 reminds us we're to be holy as He is holy. If we would heed that in our life and say, this morning I want to live a life of holiness. God, this morning, help me be filled with your Spirit. And God, lower the flesh and, and raise the Spirit in my life and fill me so that I could be obedient to you. Over and over, He says, The Word have I hid in my heart. The Word have I treasured in my heart so that I would not sin against you. We don't have to be enslaved to sin. Do we understand that? God's Word is clear. So we're to understand that if we're going to have victory over sin, you've got to acknowledge it. Sometimes there's so much pride in our life that we don't even acknowledge that, we're, that we've done anything wrong. It's amazing how often two people get in an argument and the one person for the life of them can't figure out what they've done wrong. It's clear to the whole world, but it's not clear to them. Why is that? Because we're selfish. We have a high opinion of ourselves. But if you're going to have over, victory over sin, you've got to acknowledge it. He says, I'll confess my sin. And you know what? I think until you do confess your sin, you're going to live with guilt from it. That's what he said there in Psalm 32. The guilt comes when you don't deal with it. Satan would like to step in there and say, well, you'll never do what's right. You'll never have victory. You'll never walk in holiness. That's a lie until, unless you never deal with it. But once you deal with it, God's Word says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our sins from us. Is that true? Bottom line is, He does forgive, but it's our responsibility to confess it. And when we confess it, He is faithful and just to forgive us. So you need to acknowledge it. Number two, you need to understand that you have the power because Jesus Christ lives within you as a child of God. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You have a powerful presence of God with you. Everywhere you go, every day. And you're more than conquerors. Number three, you need to understand that there is a way of escape. Are we willing to take that escape route? You know, if there is a burning fire and we're on the third floor, we're looking for it. We're looking how to get out of here. We don't want to die in that torturous flame. 
I wonder if we'd have the same view, view of sin in our lives, that we want to run from it, get away from it. You know, if this thing's a struggle in my life, am I willing to get rid of it? If, if computers is what gets me in trouble, am I willing to get rid of it? If, if these books are what gets me in trouble, am I willing to get rid of them? If, if, these, if this TV is what gets me in trouble, am I willing to get rid of it? Are we willing to run from the thing that ensnares us? Because there is a way of escape, and it's saying no. You need to understand, understand number four, that it begins with the mind. Battles are won and lost in the mind. Are we willing to renew our mind day in and day out through the Word? Are we willing to dwell on the things that are pleasing to God? The mind is where it's at. And then number five, are we willing to fill our minds with the Word? The Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. If I want to walk a life of victory, if I want not to be ensnared by sin, if I want to be a slave to God more than a slave of the things of this world, I've got to have the mind of Christ. My mind has to be made up. I don't know about you, but I still come back to this phrase. The love of God constrains us. Over and over, he's very clear that the motivating factor in obedience is love. Do I love God more? You see, over and over, and we talk about this in premarital counseling and marriage counseling, love is a decision that results in action. I say that all the time. It's one thing to say, well, I love you. But if my actions don't follow, then it's just empty words. Would you agree? Don, would you agree? If I say that I love you, but then I live selfishly and don't help you, right? Love is not just an emotion. Love is a decision that results in action. And oftentimes I have one more phrase and it expects nothing in return. Love is right to do. So love is a decision, results in an action, and expects nothing in return. Bottom line is this. If I love God, my action that follows is that I'll serve Him. I'll put Him first. I'll deny myself. I'll live for Him. Whether He gives me anything or not. Because it's right to do. So often our love is conditional. Unlike God's unconditional love. He loves us regardless. I appreciate that. I I, I love that about God. But our responsibility is to walk in holiness, not to be enslaved to sin in this world. Am I saying, Pastor, well, Pastor, are you saying that I should live a perfect life that I never do anything wrong? No, no, I'm not saying that. Only one man walked this world in perfection, that was Jesus Christ. But what I am saying is this, sin not to have a hold on us. We ought not to be struggling with the same sin ten, time, ten years in a row. We have to have victory. Then other things come up in our life and we attack that one. Then sin over here comes up and we attack that one. And sin comes up over here and we attack that. We shouldn't be enslaved to it. Because greater is He that is in you that is in the world. And if I'm not getting the victory, I wonder, am I spending time in God's Word? Am I putting it in my life so that I have the the defensibility to overcome it? So I have the strength to say no when I'm tempted? You see, they go hand in hand. The flesh and the spirit, and the one that you feed is the one that's going to have victory. And daily it's a choice to be filled with the spirit or filled with this flesh. 
choice is ours. We saw that two weeks ago. The one that will have victory is the one that you give into. And the choice is ours. We can have victory. God wants us to have victory. He's given us the ability to have victory. And God wants us to be His slave. We shouldn't be the slaves of the things of this world. Let's pray.